Hello, my name is Matthew Childs, and this episode of The Standard Show is episode two of our series Farm to Fork, the relationship between standards and food, which is looking at food production. Now, before you listen, I just wanted to let you know that we have crammed so much content into this episode of The Standard Show that to make things easier to digest, we have split it into two parts. This is part two of the episode, so if you want to listen to part one first, then that is available on the podcast feed. Now, at the end of part one, I've been speaking to Tom Hollands from Rainer Foods and Jason Creswell from technology firm Sweetbridge about a digital transformation project called the Digital Sandwich. After having enjoyed a tour of the sandwich production site and seeing how real sandwiches are made. In this part two, we start with Cindy and I still at the To Love Tea and Coffee House down the road from Clapham Junction and her asking me about my visit to Rainer Foods and about those real sandwiches. So after all that, Matthew, did you actually manage to eat a sandwich? I did. Two, in fact, an all-day breakfast and a chicken. And very good they were too. Now, listening to Tom and Jason talking there about the issue of traceability and applying the technology to a sandwich was fascinating, wasn't it? It was. And not just in terms of all sort of raw materials that goes into the product, but all the different data points that could be included. They're potentially endless, really. That's very true. And I was really um, struck by what they both said about we usually viewing the supply chain as something linear and following a straight path, but actually it's much better to think of them as a network with everything and everybody being connected. Yes, and that got me thinking. So stand by for another Douglas Adams reference. Okay. Now, it's been a while. I think the last time we talked about this was on the Smart Standards episode. Now, then it was The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. This time, it's another Douglas Adams book, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. Uh, Go on. So this character, Dirk Gently, is a detective, but he uses holistic detection to investigate and solve cases, which is based on the principle of the interconnectedness of all things. According to Dirk, everything is connected. So, to solve a case or find a person, you need to investigate the entire situation, the whole situation. What this means is that everything he discovers, everything he touches, and everything he sees will eventually come together to solve the case. Okay. (laughs) It probably works better on a page, doesn't it, really? Uh Now, anyway, from Dirk Gently and the interconnectedness of all things to someone who's been involved in the development and use of the whole thing, and that whole thing is a standard. ISO 22000 for food safety management. Yes, Matthew spoke to Amanda McCarthy, Global Food and Beverage Manager at DNB Business Assurance, a Norwegian company based in Oslo, but operating globally. Amanda is responsible for certification in the food and business sector, working with ISO standards and other private standards for food safety. She has enjoyed a long-standing career in quality and the food sector. She's also a standards maker, chairing the BSI Standards Committee AW90 quality systems for the food industry. I chatted to Amanda about the ongoing relevance of food safety for consumers and ISO 22000, a standard which she has had a personal and professional relationship with since 2005, a standard that she describes as beautiful. She started by telling me about her standards journey and how she stumbled into standards, well, by mistake. Okay, well, it's it's actually a really interesting story. <laughs> I, I find it interesting. I don't know if the listeners will. But um, straight after graduation, I joined a dairy company, um, Express Foods, as a management trainee. And uh, the day I went for the interview, um, Express made a bit of a mistake. And I wanted to go into production. 
but they put me with the quality director and interviewed me for a quality role. And uh, I was totally unprepared for this because actually I, it wasn't what I wanted to do. And uh, so I, I thought, well, this doesn't really matter. I'll just wing it in the interview. Um, and the, the quality director said to me, you know, what does quality mean to you? And, and I just blagged my way through it <laughs> because I knew nothing and I was totally unprepared, but I got the job. <laughs> and that was, you know, that's where I started in quality. Um, you know, I kind of, it was, it was an accident. Um, and I started my career from that point in quality and, and in food and in standards. And uh, I, at that time, um, Express Foods was at the forefront, really, of quality assurance in the food industry. And I became quality manager at a cheese factory. And we implemented BS5750, which some of your more mature listeners will be familiar with. It's a precursor to ISO 9001. And at that point, um, the BS5750, foods, um, food safety management, quality management systems was really used in, in, in engineering and in, uh, you know, sort of heavy manufacturing it wasn't actually in food. And we became the first certi certificated site in the food industry. So that was like a massive thing um, that, that we were able to adapt this standard to use um, for food manufacturing. And then at the same time, we were also leaders in, in HACCP. Clarifications Corner. A hazard and operability analysis, or HACCP, it's a technique used by risk assessment teams to identify potential hazards and problems with the operability of a system or process. Uh, and some of my colleagues at the time in Express are, are now, you know, were then and are, are still now global experts in this field. So I really was kind of, I was, I was among giants when I was just, a, you know, kind of a young um, quality trainee I was really working with the best in the food industry and and then quality kind of developed into quality and food safety and we needed standards that met met the requirements of the industry not just for quality but for to ensure safe food and at this time there was a lot of legislation around food safety coming along in the UK and then also in in the EU and the US and in other countries and it was obvious then that, you know, we needed something more that was specifically about food safety. And, and so ISO 22000, which is Food Safety Management System Standard, was published in 2005. And I was very fortunate. I mean, obviously, the whole story for me has been a lot of firsts because I was very, very fortunate. I became the first ever lead auditor for ISO 22000 globally. I conducted the first ever audit and then the the first ever site to receive that that certification um, was this this site that I had audited and they they were um, Westbury Dairy in Wiltshire fantastic site and I was really really proud and not only to do that audit and to be to, to be the one that you know was involved in their certification but actually to kind of be you know be to be involved in in this great site actually implementing this brand new standard back in 2005 and now 
you know, I'm now at the position where I'm delighted to be the chair of um, AW90, which is a BSO standards committee for uh, food safety management system standards. So that's that's me in a nutshell. That- that is a uh, you're right that is a wonderful story i absolutely love that and i think i want to i want to come back to 22000 and the work of your committee but before we before we do that we sort of joke on the on the podcast about how people have been seduced by standards and they end up never really leaving and they become steeped in them but i think you you kind of stumbled into into standards yes. really didn't you you kind of by accident you've uh, you ended up getting involved in quality but now you've ended up chairing as you say aw90 the standards committee so tell us about the work of the committee so um the committee feeds into the international committee tc34 um which is the you know the iso committee which is responsible for for updates to iso 22000 but i think um uh, you know, of course, the, the BSI committee has has no more authority than the other national committees working with this standard. But I think because the standard was originally conceived and developed in the UK, we've got a very special interest in its development. It's, you know, it's kind of like our baby. Um, and so that so we care about what happens to it uh, more so than than maybe um, other countries where they, they've kind of just uh, acquired it when it became, um, you know, an, uh, an ISO standard. But I think we, we do have this, this sort of concern that it, 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 it goes well and it develops and, and it's, it's utilised. Um, so, you know, and it, it's, it's been busy because the, though it was published in 2005, it, it wasn't revised until 2018. So that was a period of quite a lot of activity for the committee. And then uh, this year, we're looking at um, the standards that are related to the uh, implementation of the of ISO 22000. So the, 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 the standards that are used by certifiers, and they're due to be published, that's ISO 22003, parts one and two, they're due to come out I think in June, and then we also get involved with application guides, with explanations um, of the standard, and then currently there's a lot of work on on sector guidelines. So there's a lot of different work, and and because ISO 22000 is a standard for the whole of the food chain, right from kind of farmers right the way to retailers and everything in between, we. Have made sure that on our committee we have people that are um, representing all the food sectors. So, so literally from farm to fork and everything in between, and associated services. Um, and these people have great experience over many years in these sectors and are representing us also on various international working groups. So, yeah, that's what we're doing. We're very busy. <laughs> Now, in terms, you've, you've mentioned there that 22,000 was first published back in 2005 and it had that revision in, in 2018 and there's, there's more work being done now around implementation. But sort of take us back, really, or take us sort of inside this particular stand. You know, what, why is ISO, what's the importance of, of ISO 22,000 food safety management? I think going back to ISO, uh, going back to, to 2005 when it was first developed, the, the, the reason for it, needing to be developed um, and and being so important now is is still exactly the same. It's about providing safe food to consumers 
consistently. And that's essentially what it's designed to do and what it what it does. I mean, when you think about food safety, it, it can be a matter of life or death. There's still many cases of illness due to microbiological, physical, chemical, or allergenic uh, contamination of food globally every year. And often, regrettably, people do die um, because of something they have eaten. So that's why it was developed. And that is still why it's, why it's important and why it's so widely used. And the, the, the beauty of ISO 22000, as, as I suggested before, is that it was designed and developed to help businesses throughout the food chain, you know, from in all different sectors. And it helps them to identify the hazards uh, with the food that they supply and to, to implement a food safety management system to, to minimize the risks. So it's, it's now used very successfully throughout the world. And, and I think, you know, it, it's difficult to kind of have the numbers because it's kind of how can you prove that something hasn't happened? But, you know, I'm, I've no doubt at all that it's prevented many cases uh, of food-related sickness and death. And that is in its most pure form, really. It's about safe food. And that's I want to come. Yeah, I want. I want to come back to sort of uh, see if we can explore a bit more about about the use. But before we do that, just sort of maybe pick a a particular organisation within that particular food chain you've talked about there. So, how would an organisation go about using it? I'm thinking in terms of you know what would have happened before. So they have this standard now. What is changing about through their practices by them by them adopting it? So there are. Um, legal requirements for all food business operators to have uh, HACCP. Um, so that's hazard analysis, critical control points. And as you probably know, that came originally from uh, NASA, what happened with, with NASA when back in the 1950s, when they were looking to ensure that astronauts didn't get sick from, from food that they were taking on, on board for, you know, however, however many um months. Um, so everybody has to have a HACCP plan in place where they're identifying um, the hazards and they're, they're putting in, in place mechanisms to control them. But they didn't, uh, if you put HACCP in, you haven't necessarily got the, the, the management systems in place to ensure that that is, that is um, implemented correctly and and consistently and, and monitored and improved and you know and and so you need to have that kind of the belt and braces uh management system in place to to enable you to do that so so what when you're implementing iso 22000 the the the, the central point the very first thing that you do is you actually um conduct your hazard analysis and make sure that you have identified the hazards in in your your process in your product and that you've got those steps and that is that is key to getting everything um in the right position and then all the other bits around it really are just the 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 the, the management systems that are fairly typical to other management system standards you know management responsibility you know corrective and preventive action um internal audit you know training competency all these things that 
you need to actually ensure that you are um, keeping the the HACCP plan live and that you're continuing to review and that you're managing any changes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just it's just ensuring that the HACCP plan isn't just a piece of paper, that it's actually living, breathing and being monitored and measured and improved upon and, 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 and any issues that you have are being resolved. I'm interested in what you said there about um, sort of it's providing that, that framework to ensure that something is being done. Mm. And obviously this is applicable for for the suit for for those working in the food sector. I just wonder, given I think you wear this hat as well, how you how they uh, how this aligns and reinforces other management system standards. And in particular, you mentioned there 9001. Sort of what how do yeah. they work together to reinforce each other? Well, I think um, the when I, I talked earlier about the fact that the the standard was only just revised in 2018. And I think one of the reasons why it was it was revised is because of the, the new high-level structure and wanting it to be consistent and aligned to, to you know, ISO 9001 and ISO 14001 so that you could have um, this kind of uh, integrated management systems approach. But, but actually, ISO, as far as I'm concerned personally, ISO... 22,000 is practically the perfect standard anyway. It just had to be altered to kind of fit in with other things. I mean, it's a, it's a really, it's a very kind of elegant standard. And I think the, the, the fact that it was created basically from scratch in 2005, just taking a kind of a combination of ISO 9001 and HACCP, um, and then making it generic enough to meet the requirements of all organisations across the food chain. I mean, it it, it really is, um, you know, well, if you can call a standard beautiful, I'd call it beautiful. You I know, think it's you, just... I think you're, you're involved in it. You can call it whatever you like. <laughs> I think beautiful sounds good to me. I mean, to come up with something from scratch that meets all organisations across the food chain, regardless of their size, their complexity, you know, whether they're indirect or direct, and it, it stood the test of time to, to not need to be revised for the first 13 years of its life and then only to need to be revised because it had to reflect the new high-level structure. Um, I mean, it, it's just, it, it, it's it's kind of designed to be future-proof. Um, and, and changes to legislation have happened. There's working practices have changed. You know, there's increasing threats in the food industry, such as food fraud, you know, pressures on supply chains. You know, we hear now with with, you know, all sorts of political situations now the impact that that has on supply chains. You know, we've got climate change. All these things have a massive impact on the food industry. Mm. But ISO 22000 is is so perfectly constructed that it enables these challenges and changes to be incorporated into a business's existing food safety management system without having to change the standard. I mean, the standard is perfect and, and, and it's just... You know, but it, it still allows for these things to happen and changes to occur um, within in the outside world um, without the standard having to be continually adapted. And I think because of that, it it it's it can be you know it, it's it's there ready to kind of um, 
take us forward and it would continually be successful because it's it's sort of inherently future proof just on the um you talked there about um the food food supply chains and obviously we're, we're we operate in global markets here and, mm. and the the food food supply chain is global i just wonder how this standard uh deals with the issue of regulation and food safety in different jurisdictions because obviously uh, with food it's heavily connected with mm. food regulation and the law just wonder yeah. how, how the standard deals with that with diff- different rules and regulations around the world well essentially it's it's a, a, a kind of um it's a given that you will comply with the legislation so the auditor that is going along to audit to iso 22000 needs to be familiar with the local legislation but it it's it's such that that ha- you know that that is part of what the 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 food business operator the organization the farmer the distributor the manufacturer whoever they are have to take into account when they're putting their management system together so they have to comply with the legislation that is all part of what they do in putting their their management system together but you can't you know if if you were having to um adapt the standard obviously every time there was a new bit of legislation in any country throughout the world you know you'd be <laughs> you would be continually updating the standard um that that's just you know you 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 take the standard you take the legislation you take any other local requirements you take the 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 requirements of all the stakeholders you know that the people that you're selling to your customers uh, the 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 retailer the restaurant chain the next person up the chain and 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 the the the, the system has to account for all these things and all these you know user requirements and all the the stakeholder requirements and all the legal requirements and the local community and and you know et cetera et cetera you have to show that you have considered all these external um inputs when you're putting your your management system together the beauty of iso 22000 is that it covers all sectors of the food chain so it 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 covers um everything from from farming right the way through manufacturing, uh, distribution, storage, uh, and and supporting services and retail. But within within the food sector, there there are other standards that are have basically been devised and driven by specific um, groups of stakeholders, and. Um, they may only be relevant to particular sectors. So whereas ISO 22000 covers the whole of the, the food chain and is, um, is generic and the requirements are identical across the whole of the food chain, because there's so many different sectors with different um, interested parties, then ISO 22000 uh, competes in some of those sectors with more specific standards um, that are um, owned by trade bodies um, or other um, interested parties. So the beauty of ISO 22000 is that it covers everything, but it it is also in com- effectively in competition with specific sector schemes. 
So, Amanda, you've talked about about the sort of the the sort of uh, genesis of of twenty two thousand and how it's been relatively untouched in in, in uh, since two thousand and five. I just wonder where where next? You know, where is the next sort of area of standards development uh, around food safety management? Well, I think where we're we're looking at the moment is is any guidance that we not, might need for any particular sectors. So that is active work at the moment on on sector guides to give additional support to people that are implementing the standard. So I think that really this ISO 22000 is is the perfect standard for people that are wanting to, you know, have have the knowledge, know what they want to achieve, want to design their own management system, have done their HACCP plan, know where they're going. But if you're kind of maybe a bit more at the beginning of your journey you 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 need a bit more support you're you're not able to work it out for yourself then within your sector you might need something that's going to give you um, a few pointers as to 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 where to go so so more of a kind of a um signposting if you like for your sector so what the 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 stands committee committees in, are working on at the moment with regard to ISO 22000 are these sector guides and, and as they're produced they will come out so so for particularly for the for this for the sectors that are a little bit behind the curve um, you know then they're, they're not haven't been implementing food safety management systems for 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 many years like as as we have in manufacturing some of the more um, indirect, Set, uh, um, activities related to the food chain maybe need a bit of extra guidance. So that's where we're working at the moment. That was lovely to hear Amanda describing ISO 22000 as beautiful. And that personal connection she had to the standard over such a long time. I mean, not bad after stumbling into standards in the way that she did. It was also interesting to hear how ISO standards and others developed by the international consensus and stakeholder model have to work alongside and sometimes compete with other standards industry schemes in the food sector. Yes, and also how ISO 22000 will be responding to those um, responding to those issues with those sector guides. Mm-hmm. And just to follow up on that, we didn't hear Amanda mention them, but those guides are being developed for things like packaging, transport and retail. Now, from a standard that's been around since 2005 to one that is due for publication this year and with relevance to an important part of food production, and that is about the people involved. And that standard is BS 25700, Organisation Responses to Modern Slavery. Now, for some insights, I spoke to Alexander Troutrims. Alex is Associate Professor in Operations and Supply Chain Management at the University of Nottingham. He's published widely on the topic of modern slavery in supply chains. He serves as a technical expert on the Council of Europe's Drafting Committee on Trafficking for the Purpose of Labour Exploitation and he's also a member of the UN Procurement Human Trafficking and Forced Labour Task Force. He's also a standards maker, chairing BSI Committee G13, responsible for the development of BS 25700. Clarifications Corner. Alex is actually co-chair of the committee, alongside Akila Jardine. Akila is Senior Policy Lead for Modern Slavery at Orbis Procurement, a shared service partnership between Surrey County Council, East Sussex County Council and Brighton & Hove City Council. 
Modern slavery is a recruitment, transport, receipt, and harboring of people to exploit their labor. Globally, it's estimated that there are over 40 million men, women, and children who find themselves in situations of modern slavery today. The majority of the food that we buy has been through a growing harvesting, production, packaging, and distribution supply chain. Unfortunately, modern slavery can be found at any stage within this supply chain. Before I spoke to Alex about BS25700, I started by asking him about his teaching and research interests. So my, um, my personal interests uh, in, in research and teaching are really in, in supply chain management and, and procurement and I've been working in that area for a number of years and uh, about uh, seven, eight years ago I started uh, working predominantly on the topic of modern slavery in supply chains and uh, I, I found that really fascinating to research because it really uh, challenges you know, some of the practices that uh, we see in, in supply chains and the way we manage supply chains. And what's been your, your standards journey, Alex? How, how did it start for you and where are you now? Um, so it's it's been quite an intense journey, actually. Um, so it, it started with, you know, just being approached of, you know, whether I would be interested in chairing a, a committee on uh, you know, developing a standard for, for organizations to uh, address modern slavery. And um, we are yeah, now uh, pretty close to publication um, of that standard, and it's uh, being, being launched uh, late, late summer in, in this year. And yeah, so it was, a, I think, a lot of development um, of the committee, and that was certainly a, a really quite pleasant challenge, actually, at the beginning to think about, you know, who should be on this committee. Um, and, you know, reaching out to my own network, but also, you know, the, the networks of the people who agreed to be in the committee to really make sure we have a wide coverage of the different areas of knowledge and expertise that are needed to, to write this standard. And I think modern slavery in that sense might be, might be a bit different um, as a topic from other standards because you really need a much wider um, area of expertise. And um, we also wanted to make sure we have practitioners, uh, business practitioners, we have um, uh, academic experts, but also uh, NGOs on board, uh, NGOs from the anti-slavery movement. Um, so to really get a you know more comprehensive and holistic uh, approach to how, how um, organizations can address uh, modern slavery. So tell us about this standard then. Tell us about BS25700. Um, yeah, so uh, so BS uh, twenty five thousand seven hundred is um, well. The, the title is organizational responses to modern slavery, and even even the discussion of the title actually, um, you know, t- took the committee quite a bit of time because it was really about making this a standard that goes beyond legislation. So, um, you know, I'm sure most listeners will be aware of the UK Modern Slavery Act, but also other legislative developments that are happening in, in Europe and internationally. And so it was, it was very clear for us that this standard needs to go beyond just legislation, beyond legal compliance, um, but also beyond kind of 
you know, beyond managing a risk for an organization, but much more uh, going into an understanding of, you know, how can we effectively um, challenge modern slavery in, in businesses and their supply chains? And, yeah, getting, getting again, these, you know, wider perspectives from a wider range of um, stakeholders and practitioners into the standard. So when, when you look at the standard today, so for, for example, I think what makes it very different to other standards is that, that we have a section on, you know, vulnerabilities of workers. So why are some, you know, populations or workers more vulnerable um, to modern slavery or, you know, bad labor conditions? And the that really, I think, is 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 uh, is quite different to how we would look at other management problems in um, in a business. And why has this particular standard been developed? So I think the we we developed it really because there is so far there is no there is no standard out there. Um, so there is. There are all, you know, many guidance documents, uh, as I mentioned, different different pieces of legislation and regulation, and but there's not really a comprehensive piece where you would say, okay, this is where experts came together to write a, you know, yeah, an, an overarching standard that could apply to all businesses and. You know that can be used as a you know best practice guidance document for for businesses to look at and well first of all to check well are we doing these things um, are we doing it differently if you do it differently should you know should we think about you know maybe doing it uh, in in another way or is there a good reason why we're doing things differently so really to to bring bring together these experts um, from again academia business and and, and NGOs to help practitioners to make their organizations um, capable and to to deal with modern slavery. And I think when when I look at kind of the organizations I've personally been working with on, on modern slavery, um, they, you know, they very often come, they, they don't come from a modern slavery subject matter expert background, right? So, you know, when we think about food production management, you know, someone who becomes a food production manager is, you know, they, they don't wouldn't have a lot of human rights um, training, or they wouldn't necessarily be procurement experts, or they wouldn't be experts in understanding the vulnerabilities of of, of victims. So, but they are experts in food production, right? So it is really kind of, you know, accepting that business practitioners have a need for this this knowledge um, that they've not necessarily being equipped with from uh, by other uh, sources um, and to give them this guidance to for them to kind of look at their um, their production systems and the way they do things and where that creates modern slavery risks but also you know what they can do to mitigate these risks so it's, obviously you've you've been you've been chairing uh, this committee and you've mentioned yeah. uh, a wide range of stakeholders are involved. Could you just give us sense, give us some examples of who else have been involved in developing uh, the standard? Yeah, so um, uh, there's some, been some you know fantastic colleagues really, um, many of whom I've, I've worked with before on in, in the anti-slavery movement, but also you know new new um, 
people that, that I didn't know before I was chairing this committee. Um, so it's you know fantastic uh, practitioners like like Helen Carter, who's uh, you know great expertise in uh, sustainable procurement and modern slavery and procurement particularly. Um, you know, fantastic academic colleagues like um, Gabby Gutierrez from King's College or Amy Benstead from the University of Manchester, who, you know, got great expertise um, in, in this topic area in, in, uh, in organizational behaviors and also in, in auditing. Um, my co-chair, um, Akila Jardin, who used to be actually an, an academic colleague here at the University of Nottingham's Rights Lab and who's moved into a procurement organization now um, as a policy lead. Um, and, you know, also from the NGO sector, for example, Catherine Bryant from the Walk Free Foundation, who have, you know, a lot of experience in, you know, understanding business needs um, around the modern slavery um, topic and so really bringing you know you know bringing these different areas of expertise together um, is you know really um, yeah it's been been really rewarding and um, you know I think we're also really grateful for all these individuals that you know donated their their time and you know the, and expertise uh, to this standard you know this the standard was kind of overdue but when you know, I think when the UK Modern Slavery Act 2015 um, came out, there was there wasn't an awful lot of knowledge how a, an organisation should deal with this topic, and you know, they, I think we've come a long way since. You know, a, a lot of a lot a lot of knowledge has been developed since um, businesses have learned since they they have tried they have failed they have tried and and found that things are working so they you know i think we've learned a lot um over those years and there i think really is an important moment to disseminate that knowledge because you know you usually businesses do not want to be involved in modern slavery um and it is really about educating them and providing them with the knowledge for that they that they can prevent um, to be involved in modern slavery in their supply chains. And, and if they find that there are modern slavery cases in their supply chain, you know, how do we want them to um, to deal with that? So I think there is, as, as an educator, these, you know, writing a standard, uh, you know, comes quite naturally because equipping businesses to be able to deal with modern slavery or to respond to modern slavery is you know is really mainly an ed- an education piece. And in terms of changes, changes then. I mean, you, you've you've talked about this briefly already, but what changes do you hope to see from organisations using this standard? So I think I think what what I really hope to see from organisations is to to really understand this as a as a as a bigger topic. Um, so this is not just a an, an annual statement that I need to publish on my website or, you know, a, a box I need to tick on uh, a tender competition. This is, you know, this is, you know, I, th- I would hope that businesses take this as an opportunity to learn more about modern slavery and how it actually applies to every business. Um, no, no business is, you know, one hundred percent free of of modern slavery, and I think. You know, there it is really for business to understand modern slavery as a as a as a phenomenon, 
and relate that to their own business, their operations, uh, their wider supply chains. And um, I hope also really, you know, use that knowledge, not just to prevent modern slavery, but also to, you know, question um, a little bit, you know, how, how they might do business or, you know, how they might take actions in their business that actually unintentionally cause um, modern slavery risks at another point in their supply chain. So I'm just wondering then in terms of changes then, you know, what, what changes will this make to, to, to food production? Um, so I think the, the, the difference it's going to make to food production really depends on uh, how, you know, how, how much businesses in food production are already doing in this area. Um, and the, you know, how much, how many new things um, they, they, they can take from the standard um, to, to implement. I think the important thing really is that food production businesses understand, I mean, food, food, the food supply chains have, food, food supply chains have been kind of cons, been considered as a high risk industry for modern slavery uh, for some time. And again and again, um, they, they are identified as, as a high-risk industry. Um, so I think what our standard really covers is, is, is a lot of aspects in there. One is to understand why is this industry uh, of a higher risk? Um, because that's the first, uh, first thing we need to understand to um, you know, see can, can, can businesses actually reduce some of these um, risk factors? Can they, um, you know, how, how do they interact with their workforce? How do they uh, manage their business? And how does that create modern slavery risks? Um, but also not just the food production, but also, you know, going along the food supply chain into, you know, the agricultural uh, production, you know, also really being able to understand where in that supply chain are the biggest risks and um, how those how those risks can be can be addressed. So I think what people need to know about this standard is that it's a very comprehensive piece, right? So we, uh, I mentioned we got you know a really you know great number of fantastic experts um, that that worked on the committee, and so it's it's quite a big document. And I think what what is important, I think I want I think the, the readers of this standard to understand that you know, particularly if they're working for a small or medium-sized company or might even own their own company, right? They you know this you you probably won't be implementing 100% of this standard right so i think it's really to it's quite a comprehensive standard and i think you know i would want readers to you know have a look at it and identify which of these areas of the standard are the most relevant to me right and that will also depend you know what what kind of business you are and which which function in the business you you work for um, and so, you know, don't don't be overwhelmed by by the size, um, but you know, take take the size of the standard as a comfort that it really covers pretty much all the areas that businesses need to know about. BS twenty five seven hundred really important standard that yeah. Cindy and slavery. Wow, I mean. It's a term, isn't it, that just demands and compels you to sit up and take notice immediately. It provokes mm-hmm. a really strong emotional reaction. It certainly does in me. Me too. 
Now, details of BS25700 can be found in the show notes. And there, you'll also find information on ISO 22000 for food safety management and the digital sandwich too. And for pictures of Dan's cows and Matthew in his personal protective equipment, including those white wellies. Love the white wellies. (laughs) Check out our social media. Well, Cindy, we have gone from cows to sandwiches, real and digital. Mm -hmm to food management generally, and to managing modern slavery risks in the supply chain. What a journey. (laughs) And a bit of Douglas Adams too. And I got to wear wellies, not once, but twice. (laughs) Yes, and for me, the running thread, or sandwich filling, um, has been the issue of digital transformation. Um, Harriet spoke about the future of digital transformation and about it being able to help tell the true story of Dan's farm. And I really like that. I hope that through this episode, we've also done our bit of storytelling too. Indeed. Yes, our thanks to Dan Burling, John Royal, Harriet Henrik, Tom Hollands, Jason Creswell, Patrick Jackson, Amanda McCarthy, Alex Troutrims, and also to Sarah Walton of BSI for taking part in this episode. And of course, to the lovely cows of Chain Farm in Cambridgeshire. In the next episode of this series, we'll be looking at food packaging. So, Matthew, we should probably wrap things up here then. Very good. <laughs> you, um, are you going to finish that cake? Yeah, get your fingers oh, off. Just try, I, uh, just try a little bit no, of No, just because you finish yours doesn't mean that you can have a bit of fun. You have been listening to Farm to Fork, the relationship between standards and food, a series from The Standard Show. Subscribe to us now wherever you get your podcasts. just heard a stripped media production.